Tom Knight is going to be our speaker this morning, and I'm so glad that he is. I missed one of his lessons last time he did a short series for us, and he's talking on uh, Secrets of the Vine. And so with no further ado, here's Tom. Thank you very much. Um, Today's lesson is on Secrets of the Vine. Um, if you were looking for something uh, on vintage wines, uh, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong room. But uh, um, it's something we frequently refer to as a parable found in the 15th chapter, chapter of the Gospel of John, um, a familiar uh, story. Um, in my life applications Bible that gives a summary of all of the parables, this one doesn't make the list. Um, as a matter of fact, they indicate that in John's gospel there are no parables. So uh, this one is still a very familiar story, and uh, it really carries a very special message for us today. Um, but now, before I get any catcalls and snickers about my graphics here, <laughs> I want to give credit where credit is due. Um my graphics department produced this slide. My graphics department is headed by none other than Jan Buckley. And Jan's not here this morning, but she produced. And uh, let me just tell you, um, it looked better before I got a hold of it with a colored pencil, but um, that's, that's okay. Um, a second part of this is that that is the way vines looked in Jesus' day. Um, a stubby trunk, probably no more than waist high, no trellises, um, and the vine was the brown part, the trunk, if you would will, um, and it stayed there for generations, um, much like vines today. You know, you plant a vineyard and it's there for a very long time, but that's the way they were back in Jesus' day. Um, all of the branches sprouted out of the top. And they came back every year. Um, it was uh, at the end of the harvest. They were pruned back all the way back to the stump, as it is. And um, uh, they produced abundantly every year. Lots of foliage. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the story of this little graphics here. Um, the job of the uh, gardener or the vine keeper, whatever you want to call him, was to be sure that that vine produced abundantly. Okay. Um, the next thing I want to remind you, before we get into this story, is a little bit of background on John's Gospel. Um, you remember that this was written around 85 A.D. It was the last Gospel to be written. As a matter of fact, it was written after the letters of Paul, after the book of Acts. It really was a late addition to our Bible. Um, that makes it especially interesting because John wrote this Gospel from the perspective of the new church that was just being developed. He wanted to carry a message of Jesus' life specifically to these young churches because he wanted them to understand the spiritual nature of the gospel, not necessarily the facts that, it, that took place. And that's the reason I love John's gospel. Um, it's something very, very special because it brings a, a spiritual message to all of us. Okay, one other item. We need a little bit of a background before we get into this story. Um, the, this little story was presented by Jesus after the Last Supper, after he has had the last meal 
with his disciples. Uh, Judas has already done left to do his treacherous thing. Peter has already been told that the cock would crow three times. He would deny Christ three times before the cock crowed. Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going to die that very night. And they understood the circumstances that would be associated with that occurrence. Um, they finished their meal. Um, this obviously was going to be their last time together. They're walking from Jerusalem where the Last Supper was held across the Kidron Valley headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, it seems likely that on their walk they would have passed by a vineyard. And this gave Jesus an opportunity to tell them this story. Now, as I read it, I'd like for you to imagine the thoughts and the atmosphere, the mood that would have transpired with these disciples as they heard this story. Um, Jesus obviously wanted to get them to get their attention. This was his last opportunity to speak to them in his earthly times. Um, I can imagine Jim McCormick saying something like, Listen up, guys, I'm about to say something important. Okay. All right, let me read this simple little thing from uh, John's Gospel, the 15th uh, chapter. I'm going to read 1 through uh, 8, I think. Yeah. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, the disciples would have immediately understood this message. Uh, they are very familiar with um, vines. Vines were everywhere. Um, they also are familiar with the role of the gardener, the vine dresser. Um, they would have understand, understood the message about uh, the branches bearing much fruit, and that the encouragement to uh, uh, to produce much fruit comes from God the Father. I like to think of, ter- of in terms of Jesus being the vine, connecting us with the nourishment that comes from God. Without that connection, we're gone. We're lost. I think in terms of God the gardener, encouraging us, not necessarily through God the Father, as as it is described here, but for me it makes more sense for it to be God the Holy Spirit, our conscience. And we'll get into that a little bit later on in today's lesson. But there's one other thing we need to understand about the fruit. Um, 
normally when we think about fruits of the vine, first thing that comes to mind is um, discipleship. It comes to evangelism, producing uh, new uh, members of the church, going out into the world in an evangelistic way. Um, but really, fruits of the vine can cover a number of different things. Uh, it's not just discipleship, not just evangelism. Um, Bruce Wilkinson, and we'll get into his little book in just a minute, tells us that the fruits of the vine could be any activity that brings glory to God. The bottom line is to bring glory to God. Um, So that is the background that we get to get into here. Now, if you'll look at our vine, you notice that uh, we've got one vine up there on the upper left that's got a lot of fruit, and then the other one over on the right-hand side has got a little bit of fruit. But what about this dude that's hanging down? Um, Don't see any grapes there at all. Uh, Maybe that is the branch that has to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Now, we need to understand something else as we look at this vine. Every one of these branches is a member of a church. These are already Christians, folks. So Jesus isn't talking about the heathens out there. He's talking about people that are already Christians that have already accepted the faith. Um, Maybe Judas is one of those that doesn't have any fruit, and he's already cut off. Maybe he's on his way to the fire. But if we look at the message and we think in terms of being cut off from the vine and thrown into the fire, that's what the gospel says. Would God really do that? Well, when we get into Bruce Wilkinson's book, we'll find out that the answer is, is, is no. God does not really want to do that. God wants to encourage every member of the church to grow in our faith to produce much fruit. Okay. Um, Bruce Wilkinson is probably best known through for, his, for being the founder and head of the Walk Through the Bible Ministries. Um, that's stationed here in Atlanta. Uh, he was also a major contributor to the Promise Keepers program that somehow fell by the wayside because of public pressure. And uh, to me, that was a tragedy. Um, Promise Keepers was an outstanding program for uh, the men in our church, and Bruce Wilkinson was a part of it. Um, about ten years ago, Bruce Wilkinson thro- wrote three little books. I've got all three of them. Um, Secrets of the Vine that we'll talk about this morning. Um the prayer of Jabez, and a life that God rewards. Um, these things sort of fall in sequence. Uh, prayer of Jabez was the first one that he wrote. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, it really says something for a religious book, but it, it, it was. Um, Secrets of the Vine is the one we'll talk about this morning. Um, and then a life that God, God rewards. Uh, These things sort of follow in sequence. I'm sorry that he wrote the prayer of Jabez first because, to me, Jabez follows more closely on the secrets of the vine that we're going to talk about this morning. And then, obviously, the last one, a life that God rewards, is the last in the sequence. Um, To me, they follow one right on top of the other. And uh, um, if you can have me back sometime later on, I'd like to talk to you about the prayer of Jabez. If you haven't read that, it's a very simple little story, but it changed Bruce Wilkinson's life, and it can change our lives just as well. All right. Um, The bottom line of all this is that 
God the gardener, God the Holy Spirit, whatever, wants us to produce much. He's encouraging us all the way to do our very best and to grow in our faith and grow in our service. Okay, let's get into the individual branches now and talk about that poor little vine that's uh, on the left-hand side that's not producing any fruit. Um, Bruce Wilkinson says, and he's got studies to back this up, that about 50% of our church members today, worldwide, are producing nothing. Okay, that's sort of scary to me, but that's what he, he said. They are members of a church. They have accepted Christ in their lives, but they are not really doing anything to give God the glory. Okay, um... That sort of bothers me. Are these these really people really cut off? Are they about to be thrown in the fire? Well, no, they're not, according to Bruce Wilkinson. They're being disciplined. They're subject to God's discipline. God doesn't want to give up on them, but they may give up on themselves. And I think that's a that's a very clear message. Okay, let's. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit more about those branches. Um, the word in, in the Gospel of John, the 15th verse, we, the chapter that we just read, talks about these branches being cut off. It's based on a Greek word, arrow, A-I-R-O, that can be translated as cut off. And that's the way it's presented in most all of our Bibles. Bruce Wilkinson says that that's not strictly true. The word arrow, A-I-R-O, could also be easily translated as lifted up. Now, doesn't that change your thinking about this branch? Doesn't that change your thinking about God and the Holy Spirit? God wants us to be lifted up. And in Jesus' day, that probably was the message that the disciples heard. Branches like this, the ones that were dragging along the ground, the ones that got dirty, that produced nothing, were in fact lifted up by the vine keeper. He lifted them up, he washed their dirt off the leaves, he put blocks of wood under them to give them air and sunlight, and hopefully they would produce grapes from then on. Okay, interesting, interesting story. When you talk about the word arrow, um, what's the first thing that comes to mind? An airplane, right? Lift it up! But somehow our Bible says cut off. Um, and But I, I don't want to argue about that point. The, the scripture goes on to say thrown into the fire, and that's pretty plain, isn't it? So, so be it. Um, God doesn't want to lose any of us, but if we fail to produce, if we fail to acknowledge the presence of God in our lives in any form, we're effectively cutting ourselves off from the vine. And um, when I think about our church... And that 50% figure that I had up there just a minute ago was frightening. But our church has over 6,000 members. And we struggle to have 2,000 at worship service on Sunday. Doesn't that tell you something? Sort of hit you between the eyes. It did me. Um, we got a lot of dead wood out there. Uh, God has a lot of disciplining to do. He's got a lot of vines that need to be lifted up. Okay. Um, 
We've talked about how all of the vines represent Christians in some form or another. Um, but let's now get into the secrets of the vine that um, uh, Bruce Wilkinson presents as the first one, applying to those branches. If your life consistently produces no fruit, God will intervene to discipline you. Discipline. Uh, don't hear that word mentioned a whole lot in our church today, but it's certainly biblical. If we look at um, uh, Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, uh, we see that God disciplines us because he loves us. He wants us to be all that we can be. Let's read that. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Love. The discipline that God produces for these um, uh, branches that are really on the verge of being cut off is because he loves them, and he wants them to be all that they can be. Um, and again, think about all the members of the church that we never see. Um, we've got a lot of love that we need to extend out to those people. Um, punishment can, can come in a whole lot of different ways. Um, but, and obviously the bad things that happen to some people are not discipline. They're just ways of life. We all know situations where uh, bad things happen to good people. And looking at it the other way around, sometimes we've got good things that happen to bad people. That's the way of life. But discipline is something that God brings specifically to bring those people back into the fold to get their attention. And sometimes discipline in a very strong way is that is the thing that's needed. Um, we're going to move on to the second branch now. But before we leave the first branch, um, let me say that it's my firm belief and hope very sincerely that no one in our class is sitting on that first branch. Um, I think that we're all moving on our spiritual journey. I think that we're all either on branches two or branch three. But there may be something there that's keeping you from feeling this, the effects of the Holy Spirit in your life. It could be a bad habit. It could even be an addiction. It could be depression. It could be a sin that you're harboring that you need to get rid of. Um, but let's make this clear. I'm not talking to anybody in this class, I don't think. I think that we're all on a spiritual journey and ready to produce more fruit. Let's move on now to um, uh, the next secret of the vine. If your life produces some fruit, God will intervene to prune you. Okay, prune. What does prune mean? Cut back a little bit. It means doing anything to encouraging the vine and encourage us to produce more. Um, so what's the difference between pruning and discipline? Well, it's a pretty significant difference, according to Bruce Wilkinson, and I think that we can all understand that. In the first example, it's something that we that God has to do Discipline is something that God has to do to get our attention. He has to get us back thinking the right way. Um, pruning, on the other hand, is something that God is encouraging us to do ourselves. Okay, 
Uh, maybe it's something that we need to give up. Uh, give up is a tough thing to do, isn't it? Um, but it's a way that God prunes us when He expects us to discipline ourselves instead of God disciplining um, uh, us Himself. All right. I've done a couple of case studies here about pruning. Here's the first one. Tom spends too much time reading current novels and mysteries. Tom gets so absorbed in his reading that he sometimes neglects more important things. God isn't satisfied that Tom is doing his best. Tom's conscience hurts. What? What? Oh, that's just a name I picked up. All right. Case study number two. This one's going to hit home, folks. Our UMC has an annual budget of $490,000. No. Thank you, George. I'm sorry. I Thank you very much. $4,900,000, multiplied by a factor of 10. Um, uh, somehow Fulton County got away with that recently without it. You made up for it, though. Okay. All right, I'm going to blame that on the graphics department again. The rest of the numbers are factual. We support our $4.9 million budget with pledges from 881 pledging units. Our membership is 600,000 people, 6,000 people. The estimated number of pledging units in our church is 3,500. 3,500 people in our church are only, only 881 of these are pledging. Now, these are figures from Lynn Adcock, and I've verified those a couple of times. Um, That is pretty sad, folks. Less than a quarter of the pledging units in our church are pledging. Uh, Sounds like God has a lot of pruning to do. And I know a little bit about this class. And I know that the pledging uh, families in this class far exceed 25%. It's right at 90%. Um, So, again, I'm talking about the rest of the people out there, not the ones that are here this morning. Okay, but those of us that are left still have some pruning to do. Let's get to case study number three. Shiny gods. Now this shiny god uh, was listed in the paper the other day with a price tag of $120,395 plus destination charges plus tax. Um, But it's sexy. Now... Martha's out of town. (laughs) I can't wait to hear what Martha has to say when she sees that car in our driveway. I can't wait to see you the next week. (laughs) (laughs) Just tell her it's a viper and it bites. Okay, I don't expect to see many of those cars in our church parking lot. Um, But it brings to mind the shiny gods thing. 
is from a new book that just came out a few days ago um, called Shiny Gods by Mike Slaughter. Now, I haven't read this book yet, but it surely brings to mind pruning. And these are the things that I think that we need to concentrate on in our lives today. Mine as well as yours. All of us need to grow. We need to respond to the urging of God, which means pruning, means cutting back and readjusting our priorities. Um, Shiny Gods is a book that we're going to be using as a part of our stewardship program in the fall. Um, I happen to be on the, the stewardship committee. So I may be talking to you some more about those pledging units, but uh, that's beside the point. Um, shiny Gods, the first thing, in spite of the way I presented it on the graphic, Shiny Gods is not capitalized. He's talking about not the God that we're worshiping. He's talking about other gods that we worship, right? Um, uh, but it has an interesting subtitle. Finding freedom from things that distract us. Pruning. Finding freedom from things that distract us. Making a decision to readjust our priorities. So, shiny gods is something else that, that bother us. Now, of course, shiny gods is not all about, not about automobiles. Shiny gods is about anything that keeps us from giving God the glory in our lives. Distracts us from the main thing. Mike Miller, um, most of you know, he's been in our church for a very long time, on the staff for a while, now he's back. But uh, anyway, Mike says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Make sense? Priorities. It's all about priorities. Okay, let's get on now to secret number three. If your life bears a lot of fruit, God will intervene to Intervene, will invite, I'm sorry, God will invite you to abide more deeply with him. Um, so God wants us to produce, produce lots of fruit. So how good is good enough? Well, I think you know the answer to that one. We can never be good enough. Paul said uh, that we cannot ever earn our way into heaven. But we all can grow. I don't think any of us have reached the point of being totally satisfied with what we're doing. I don't think that God will ever be satisfied with what we're doing as long as we're here on earth. He wants to keep pruning. He wants us to continue doing more and more. And that sort of brings us to the prayer of Jabez. And if you can have me back some other time, I'd like to talk to you about the prayer of Jabez. Jabez, this opened the door to God. Let me do, expand my territory. Give me more to do. More ways to give you glory in my life. Um, I think that's the meaning of this uh, last secret. Uh, God expects us to continue to grow. We're Christians under construction. I've always thought that that was a very catchy title because it conveys so much about us and our class as well. We are under construction. We're not there yet. And I expect to be under construction for the rest of my days. And I think that you should feel the same way. Um, but our class is a special fellowship. Um, our class provides a foundation for Christian growth. Uh, it provides the leadership, the witness, the examples, and yes, the encouragement for growth in our Christian faith. 
The fellowship in this class is something that I've never experienced before. We've been members members here for 33 years. Um, when we first joined CUC, we had about 12 people. George remembers it very well. George was here before we were. Um, how did you come up with the title of Christian Nuns and Construction, George? you remember? No. <laughs> it was but anyway, anyway, I, I, I remember we had a name that wasn't very distinctive, Elticon, and nobody was joining our class. Well, I'm glad you changed it. You've got to do some publicity, you've got to have a better name. He gave us that name and suggested we put construction signs around the church, stop, turn here, you know, that kind of thing, to, to get people into the class. Well, when I teach in other classes, I really enjoy, I'm proud to say, that I'm a member of CUC because of all the things that I have just said. You're very special people, and uh, that means uh, an, an awful lot to me. However, when we all get to heaven, we're going in one at a time. I don't think that St. Peter is going to be very impressed when I get up there and say, but I was a member of CUC. <laughs> don't think so. So each one of us individually has to do our own pruning and make our own decisions, establish our own priorities. But I think that this class stands ready to support us and encourage us, lead us, and demonstrate through our individual faith um, what all of us can achieve. Okay, um, abundant living. We talked about the last step, Christ abiding with us and us in him. Let's read this again now. This is John 15, uh, 4 through 5, same scripture that I read before. It says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No, ba- no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. We've got to remain connected. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sounds like a partnership. God wants to be our partner. Um, partnership uh, sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I think in this case, Jesus wants to be the senior partner. Um, senior partner means somebody else has to make the decisions and somebody else is in the control. Uh, that's sort of tough to get up, isn't it? Give up. That's uh, We're pretty control freaks ourselves, I am. And we like to make the decisions. And uh, are we willing to let Jesus really be in control? Bruce Wilkinson says that's the final step. Um, that this is the most difficult thing that we have to do. Um, he, he said that he, in his life, determined that walk through the Bible uh, became the source of his pride, his ego support, everything. He got so wrapped up in working with the walk through the Bible program that it was his ego base. He realized that he had to give it up in order to get back to God. And he walked away from walk through the Bible. Uh, turned his back on it. Left it. Told his wife that 
their lives, told his wife that their lives, their lives had taken a new turn because he felt like that he wanted to start over afresh because he wanted to turn everything over to God. And he talks about the rich blessings that came when he turned everything over to God. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But that's the, the, what the, the place we need to be if we really become the people that God expects us to be. Um, last week, Paul Beecham talked about Abraham and Isaac. An interesting story that we all remember. Abraham was asked to give up the son that he loved more than anything else, and he was willing to do it. And God changed him, changed his position on that right at the end, and thank goodness he did. I would hate for God to ask me to give up one of my children. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. Last week, Paul also mentioned the Apostle Paul that uh, had received a great deal of experience in his life. He had been highly educated, and he was he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He probably had a pretty wealthy background. But in the final analysis, as, he, as we discussed last week in the book of Philippians, Paul says, I count all of that as nothing. Absolutely nothing, as long as I can gain the fellowship of Christ and live with him within me. Um, my dad always had a little plaque in his office. Um, I still got that little plaque. <clears throat> if I get through this, it'll be good. Um, the little plaque said things very simply. When the one great scorer comes... To count against your name. He counts not that you won or lost, but how you played the game. Excuse <laughs> me. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Dear Lord, we we study your word, we hear your your pruning, we want to give up, we want to produce more fruit. We know that you're there to lead us and to guide us. Help us to make the right decisions. Help us to establish correct priorities in our lives. Be with us and comfort us and shepherd us along the way. And when we get to the final day, we ask that you would accept us into your glory. And everything that we do in preparation for that day, may it be to your praise, your glory. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Behind the scenes that you may not know was about three weeks ago, Mary and I were having a conversation of, do we have class on this Sunday? And Mary walked over and said, Tom, would you teach us on this Sunday? And he said, oh, sure. So it was not like he has been fretting with this, with all the beauty and information and joy and testimony that came out of it. He just said, oh, sure, I can do that. So was that not wonderful? Thank you. Our Bible, oh, don't forget. They're up here. Tickets. A verbal verse this week, and we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. I've probably used that two or three times in the last couple of years, but I like it. But it made me think this morning of my Uncle Bill. Every time you'd start to talk about something, 
And if you went the least bit negative, Uncle Bill would say, but now, honey, what's the good news in that? (laughs) And if you condition yourself, honey, you'll remember the good news and not let your mind go to the bad news or to the negative. So let's remember the good that God works for those of us who love him. Thank you. Thank you.